Welcome to Live, Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship, a podcast that showcases the talents, skills, and abilities of UT faculty, staff, and students. I'm your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in Housing and Dining, and we're excited to have you listening to us. Welcome, everybody, to the ninth episode of live which stands for leadership innovation ventures and entrepreneurship and this podcast is brought to you by university housing and dining i'm your host brandon jones associate director for uh student learning and development in university housing and dining and today we have a very 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 special guest uh with us her name is Brittany o'malley and Brittany is the Assistant Director of Prevention for University Health Services and also the Counseling and Mental Health Center and has the primary role of overseeing the Longhorn Wellness Center. And so we're very excited to have Brittany with us. Brittany, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing really well. It's good to have you. I'm really excited. Um, for those of you that don't know, I have a wonderful relationship with Brittany. Uh, I miss working in the building across the street from Brittany over on over by Kinsolving. I really miss being able to yeah. just walk over and have some impromptu coffee and conversations. I'm really missing that. I really miss being able to do that with you. Me too. The Littlefield Coffee Conversations where anything can happen yes, to change yes. the world, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we thought of some pretty cool things. And so the other day when we were meeting, uh, for, for our audience, <laughs> the other day when we were meeting, we came, I came up with the idea to have Brittany on the show. And one of the reasons why I wanted to invite uh, Brittany on the show, for those of you who are listening, is um, it's, it's back to school season. Uh, whether you're in K-12 or whether you are in higher education, Everybody's going back to school virtually, in person in some cases. Some people have transitioned from in person to remote within a week of opening. And uh, that's happening all over the country. And so right now, this concept of wellness, especially in the pandemic, uh, has taken on a new meaning. And I felt like it was very important for us, uh, especially for our new incoming uh, freshmen and transfer students uh, and our faculty and staff who may be listening to the show to really get an understanding of what wellness is uh, and some things that we can do, some practical steps that we can take to really focus on uh, what we're calling self-care. I want to make sure we go there today. But before we dive into all that, Brittany, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Let us know who you are, um, where, you, where you're from, your sure. education, your background, experiences, all that good stuff. Sure. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here and talk about all that. Um, so a little bit about me. I, uh, I grew up in the Midwest. I actually grew up in Iowa. Um, so shout out to all the Midwesterners who are listening. Uh, I went to a really tiny liberal arts college in Wisconsin, Beloit College. Um, very, uh, a very unique. The, when I started there, the, the tagline for the, when they were recruiting was invent yourself, which was part of what drew me in there. Um, and I moved to North Carolina when I finished undergrad. I actually worked in housing. So I have, uh, that's, I think, where you and I get along. As I, yes. a long, 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 long time ago, I had about a year and a half of being a hall director um, and got to kind of see that side. And that was because I was an RA when I was in college and mm -hmm. had a lot of experience in student life and leadership. And um, so finishing undergrad, it, I got a job at a small women's college in North Carolina and got to, to work with some really amazing folks there. Um, and also realized that that maybe wasn't where I was in ahead for my whole career. Sure. Uh, and so ended up, I'd always been interested in health 
and well-being and and healing what what helps people heal um, but I knew I wasn't called for medical service that there was a lot involved in that financially and emotionally and intelligence wise and I just felt like that wasn't me um, and then so I started graduate school um, actually for public health at UNC Chapel Hill okay. um, I went there uh, which was really great because for me public health is this really um, great field where it's both about understanding individual behavior change, like why we make the health decisions we make and what influences that, but also mm -hmm. public health is about population level change, which is about understanding culture and understanding you know, social determinants of health and understanding how our physical environment impacts health and how making changes there can have great, great impact on those individual level um, folks. And so for me, it was a great calling. And, and I've always considered myself a generalist. Like I like to know a little bit about a lot of things. So where I went to school, some really, really great people who focused in on, you know, say sexual health or, um, you know, global health research or things like that. I really have always loved to know about a lot of things. Um, and while I was in graduate school there, I actually started working in, in the, what was their wellness office as a graduate student. Um, at the time I was working and focusing on substance use prevention or misuse prevention. And, uh, and that's how I kind of found that I could meld the love I had for having worked in higher ed and the love I had of health was that there were offices that existed on campuses that sole purpose was to help people improve their well-being and help campuses improve well-being for the people in their communities. Nice. And so from there, I've kind of journeyed through that. I've worked at a few different institutions and started in my role at UT um, about two and a half years ago. So, um, and UT is by far the largest campus. So I always say in my career, I've worked on a campus as small as 750 students, now all the way up to UT. So I've yeah. really seen Same a here. lot of different communities. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. You've got, I mean, you've, you've opened up so many doors uh, that we could talk about in this conversation today. So I'm really excited uh, to dive in. I want to just go ahead and jump right into what we were talking about the other day when it comes to wellness. I think that yeah. there's, there's a lot of conversation about this and especially among students that I interact with on a regular basis. Like when we talk about uh, wellness, typically what we find is that a lot of people are focused mainly, mainly on either the dietary or the nutritional side of it mm -hmm. or the physical health, meaning I'm going to be in the gym, I want to do CrossFit, yeah. I want to do Camp Gladiator, but there's so much more to wellness. And right. I, want, I, I just want you to t tell us, what do you, what is, when we talk about wellness from a holistic standpoint, what does that really mean uh, to be, to, to, to be so focused and centered on wellness? Yeah, I'm, gosh, that's such a big question. I could answer that a hundred ways. Um, I, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that it is, there are so many aspects of well-being mm -hmm. at an individual level, right? There is your physical health, which is, yeah, the food you eat and how you move your body, mm -hmm. but also is about sleep and, um, you know, going to the doctor when you're sick or when you're not sick or, you know, those, those practices right now, it's very much about physical health, right? Like sure. social distancing and washing your hands and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that there's so much that um, is also about our mental and emotional health. And I also love thinking about social health and well-being, you know, relationships we have and how much they feed us or don't. Um, and how even, you know, a lot of places, and I consider myself 
one of those folks consider financial well-being as part Mm -hmm. of it because it impacts those other areas. And to me, the holistic part of it is that you can't really pull a thread without pulling the others, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's where some people get a lot of um, good feelings about their health and well-being when they do commit to something like exercise, right? Because it makes them feel good, you know, and they feel it, but they don't just feel it in their legs and their body, right? Like, they feel that in that that mood boost. They feel satisfied with themselves because they've committed to something and they're following through. And I think that that's where I've always been passionate about the holistic piece. Is like it's really a ball of all these different threads woven together. That's your well-being. Um, and sometimes you do need to nurture a little bit of one area over another. Sure. But sometimes it's about kind of exploring what do those different aspects mean to you. Um, and so I think at the individual level, that's very much kind of how I approach holistic. I also think part of holistic well-being is all those other factors that aren't just about your individual decisions, right? That mean, do you have access to food that's good for you? Do you have, do you feel safe in your community? Do you, um, do you know, do you have, again, do you have relationships or people you trust to mentor you or guide you? I know that that's a big part of what we do in leadership development, right? Is helping people connect to each other. Um, and so I think that that's also part of holistic is that you're also able to see those dynamics between yourself and your environment and your culture and vice versa. How does that sure. culture promote or detract from your well-being? So you, you tackled a lot right there. And I love when you said uh, exploring what each of these areas, the physical, uh, the social, yeah. the mental and the financial, exploring what that means for you. But I want to thread that in with something yeah. you said earlier that I think is so important. It's when you talked about culture. And yeah. you know, as you know, here at UT, we're really big on intercultural competence, <clears throat> the ability yeah. uh, to communicate cross-culturally, to engage uh, difference and bridge those commonalities, right? Um, what role does culture play in, you know, in this area that we're talking about with wellness? Uh, like yeah. how important is understanding that? I mean, I think it's huge, right? And part of why I'm really passionate working in an office that works on like prevention, which was a big word to say, we're looking upstream, right? We're not just always looking at reacting or changing things because they have to, but really saying like, what's what's impacting our community around well-being? Sure. Um, so I think culture is huge. And I think that can be, you know, when I talk about it, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a public health theory nerd, Sue, so I could like break it down in the theory world, but like sure. the social ecological framework is really, I think the most relatable way to understand it, which is to say culture is everything from policy and law and like that really big kind of over, and that could be policy in a residence hall too, right? Or it can be the Texas state law. Um, there's also this like kind of organizational um, or community level, right? Which could be our UT campus, but it might also be we're in Austin and this is, there's a lot of unique factors that play into what our campus community looks like. And then organizations, I think on a college campus matter because we have these like groups or pods that are really influential in how we're making decisions, how we're navigating things, what access to resources we might have if we're in a specific organization or role, if we're in a, you know, if we have a really great res hall floor, if we're living in an off-campus apartment with like a just informal group of friends, like those factors are part of culture, right? Like your culture that you experience all the way up to like living in America in this moment in time and all those things. And that, I mean, I think you said at the beginning that 
right now people are really thinking about their well-being in a different way mm-hmm. because we're in this like time where it's really hard to to be well and to think about it and that to me is so much about culture right. um and i think even a global pandemic is impacting our culture right i think a long-term way we think about a lot of different health behaviors and social connection mm-hmm. is going to change um wow for a long, long time after this. Um, and I think our need, like, I think we all knew we needed people before this, but boy, do you, I realize I need some people now, like in a different way. And I think that that's, again, that reflection on like, how is this changing for me in different times as part of wellness, right? Like recognizing that in myself, that call and need, and then being like, it doesn't look the same. How can I change what I do? Or maybe I want to be bigger and how can I help change how others are interacting so we're all healthier. Yeah, and you said something else in there with the individual behavior change, right? And so in, in our uh, Longhorns for a Culturally Competent Campus workshop, that's one of the things yeah. that we talk about is it's about you, but it's not about you. It's about you mm-hmm. in the sense that it's, it's about you recognizing your own culture and your own yeah. background and your own experiences and the things that you bring uh, to, the, to the table that we often talk about. And what happens is is that a lot of students participate in these experiences and they say, well, I want to learn about other people's cultures. And it's like, well, that's a good byproduct of this experience if that happens. But the goal is is for you to increase your self-awareness enough to where you can make that that change in yeah. uh, that behavioral change in a way that, that that makes the difference that makes the difference right when we talk yeah. about diversity right totally so when, you, when you when you're talking about individual behavior change what are some examples within that within those domains of wellness that you talked about the physical the social the mental the financial what are some of those what are some like one or two examples of individual behavior changes that a first-year college student, for example, yeah. uh, could do whether they're here at UT or whether they're listening to the show remotely back home anywhere in the world right now. What advice would you give to those students? Yeah, you know, I, first year of college is so interesting. Because, and part of why I love working on college campus is because there's this like period of time that's incredibly transformative, mm-hmm. right? And and whether that's a community college experience or whether that's a four-year more traditional, whether you're starting when you're 30 or you're starting when you're 18, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's the beginning of a journey. And I think part of that has to do with this idea of like learning the amount of learning you're doing both in the classroom, but also like out of the classroom as much influence of meeting all these people that you've never interacted before and understand that they've come from this totally different experience Mm -hmm. or um, learning what it is to be a leader because you're all of a sudden in roles that you've never been in before. Or I think health-wise, being more of an agent of your own health for maybe the first time, you know, as if you're, you know, more traditional college-age student of like 18, you know, like that that might be the first time someone's not reminding you to go to the dentist, you yeah. know, yeah. or... Yeah. Or that, yeah, right? Or maybe you've had previous experiences, say, around, like, choosing to drink or not drink, but Mm -hmm. in college, it maybe looks and feels different, and so now you're faced with a different kind of decision-making there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think stress, you know, because I think that that's something that it doesn't matter. I think that there's this increasing kind of mental load that is happening before campus, but then when you get there, you're having to adjust your routine how you prioritize your time, you know, like who you're friends with, how you socialize, like you're making all these things and there's a load there. 
that you come in. And so I think when I think for first year students, I think it's like, first of all, like totally normalizing. It's okay to feel lost sometimes in that first year because it's really a transforming time. And part of transforming is kind of letting go of some things and then feeling a little weird about that. Um, But I think starting to recognize what works for you when you are feeling those times of feeling Mm -hmm. lost or disconnected or overwhelmed by change or stressed out, like starting to figure out and cultivate early on in your college experience practices Mm -hmm. that help feed you. Right. And that's part of that self-awareness, right. Of like, what, what do I know about myself that feeds me? Like, what do I know? And that doesn't look the same for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. That's your roommate, you know, my husband and I, like the way that we need to recharge looks different and um, knowing it and then respecting that about yourself and listening to that. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that because one of the things that happens and I talk about this, I I use the concept when I'm, when I talk to student groups, I tell them to mind their D's and F's, the things that deplete them and the things that fill you up. Because I, mm-hmm. I spent the, the majority of my career, uh, I spent the majority of my career working in academic support services. And so when I was talking to the Sanger group earlier mm-hmm. in the year, I was telling them, like, look, you got to pay attention to those things that drain you and those things that fill you up, the D's and the F's. And you got to do a lot more of those things uh, that fill you up and know what those things are. And so for me, that was video game time. I didn't play video games during the week in college yeah. because... I'm a video game nerd. Uh, folks can't see it, but nice. I have a gaming computer chair. He does. I and, can vouch for it. Yeah. <laughs> right here in my in my home. And, you know, my kids and my family know that is that's dad's charge time. This is what I do. And that's always been my thing. And yeah. so I would I would look forward to those moments where I could do that. But I'm noticing at schools, especially like UT, where you're already admitting this uh, as my colleague, my former colleague, Doug Reynolds, used to say, these impressively cerebral students, right? Yeah, yeah. Super smart and know a lot. And, but when it comes to recharging, so many of them project their happiness and they're recharging into future dates. And it's like, well, I'm just going to suffer for four years. And then when I graduate, I'll make money. And it's like, yeah. how do you plan to survive four years? Like, do you know how many weekends Gosh. are in that four-year time? Do you know how many days of school is it like why would you project that can you talk about just continue can you just kind of come back to that point of um the knowing what recharges you and how to put that in your um daily or weekly routine yeah um, because i know this is a struggle for freshmen every year yeah and And upperclassmen and you know what graduate students like i hear that Mm. so much when i work with graduate students is like it's just two years i just have to get through it or like this is you know feeling this miserable is just part of getting a phd right like yeah it is it is like i think it's one of those we don't realize it's such a universal kind of experience and i think that comes a lot especially when we're working at kind of elite institutions and high achieving um and it's really ingrained in us super early on in our culture talk about Mm -hmm. culture right to like this like culture of busy of like busyness and Mm -hmm. productivity mean you're more valuable um and so to to accomplish that you have to sacrifice things and so a lot of what we're taught to sacrifice is this idea of like you know pushing back that thing that recharges you or fills you up 
for later, right? I have to, I'll, I'll pencil self-care in later on, right? right. Like, right. yeah. Um, when I think like the, you know, and again, it looks different for everyone. So I can't give a universal like solution to say, how do you build this in? But I think helping let go of the, what we perceive as self-care and wellness as this luxury, mm-hmm. this idea of it's only for people who have the luxury to have time for it. Wow. Um, letting go of the fact that it needs a ton of time. I have the only way I can recharge is if I have a whole day or mm-hmm. a half day. Sometimes yeah. don't get me wrong. Sometimes you need a day, a day yeah, sometimes or a week, you know, like sometimes you do need to step back and take a break, mm-hmm. but that there are also like different practices, five minute practices, right? There's mm-hmm. hours in the, there might be an hour in the day, or there might be a time where you're like, no, nope, that's not going to cut it. I do need to take a day off and step back and like, I want to highlight that. that. I want to yeah. highlight that what you're saying right there for a second. You're talking about these micro practices because I think right. we brought into and I, and I and definitely as you're going through this, I definitely want you to talk about grind culture because you're yeah. totally going in that direction, and I don't want you to lose that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Come back to it, but these micro practices. Let's talk about that because as you said, sure. I think that we've bought into this mindset that I I don't because I don't have time. If I can't block out a whole day, then I'm not going to recharge. And that's not true. There are so many small things that you can do over the course of the day that ultimately will leave, will leave you less depleted uh, yeah. throughout the day. Talk about some of the, and definitely share some examples yeah. uh, with, with all of us, because I think that during this pandemic, there's that grind culture, right? There's that, yeah. uh, we've got to excel no matter what. And you're not really successful if you don't come out on the other side of this pandemic, having written five books and starred in a major motion picture release. Yeah, right, right. right. You didn't start your own business, plant a whole garden, oh. you know, continue <laughs> to like read 18 books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think about this a lot and I, the micro practices is connected, I promise. But I think a lot about this within the pandemic because I think that, um, and I've had conversations with a great friend and mentor with, of mine mm-hmm. about how they're, for a while was this leaning into slow things again, you know, people baking bread or people growing things or people like there was something that allowed us in this space to like lean in a little to the things that take a little longer and are very slow. And I think that's now been kind of countered by sometimes time feeling like it's speeding up. And so maybe there's this pull of stillness. So one practice that I have appreciated, and this is me speaking for me, is is finding moments of stillness intentionally, like a, a moment of stillness. And now that can be you're riding a bus, right? Well, and now write very carefully, socially distanced, riding a bus. But in free times, maybe you're taking the bus to campus for a class. Um, instead of scrolling on your phone the whole time, maybe a little bit, you know, or uh, listening to music, Um, maybe you just take a minute and you just like put your hands on your lap and you're just like, take a couple breaths and you're just still for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then you pick your phone back up and you check Facebook or whatever, you know, but like that intentional practice of giving yourself five seconds, right? Mm -hmm. That Um, just scared somebody. And by some, oh, it scares me. That's That's why I'm mentioning it. That scares (laughs) people, right? Yeah. Because it's like, you're telling me to stop when 
the grind culture says I got to have outlook on every device I own. Oh, and I got yeah. messages walking across campus, responding to text messages. And sometimes in student affairs, we're supposed to be the holistic people. Right. But sometimes right. if we're not careful, we can be the biggest perpetuators of this grind culture. I think that Dr. Lilly has done a great job of reminding us to, yeah. hey, take a step back. Uh, I, I thank yeah. Dr. Tyus over here in housing and dining for like checking in on us and sending text messages saying yeah. like, hey, notice that you've been put burning the midnight oil here. You got some vacation time coming? And she'll call oh us out gosh. at meetings. Like shout out to Dr. T. She'll ask you like, hey, yeah. I noticed <laughs> yeah, that love you, that. you've been here. Like what's going yeah. on? So yeah. I, I definitely want to make sure that we highlight that. <laughs> I think that there's something too in that and that we are in a helping field. Like we're all here because of students, right? right. And we right. want to give ourselves. And that, you know, in some ways when you talk about things that recharge you and deplete you, sometimes they can be the same thing. They can. Right? Like that committing yourselves to like supporting students, for example, can be something that totally feeds us and keeps Absolutely. us going day to day. It can also be the thing that makes it really hard for us to put ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the same for students, right? Like you are there committing yourself to your passions, to your mm -hmm. learning, to your friends, to your family. And it can make it really hard. And I think you used the word guilt earlier. <laughs> like it can make you feel some guilt. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think that when you talk about little other micro practices, I think the best thing that we already practice doing is that, you know, that saying like, talk to yourself the way you talk to your best friend, mm -hmm. like starting to shift your thought from, I'm so selfish for wanting this five minutes, you know, or this to, you've done a lot this week and you've yeah. given a lot, like good job self. Like you actually, you did give, you should give yourself this time because mm -hmm. your friend probably is going to do that. Um, and I have, this is my other like thing about being in such a competitive environment that starts again before college, I think, is there's this stress competition that's kind of become normalized. Oh, you know what I'm God. talking about? Like mm -hmm. that you're, I'll, I overhear these conversations a lot with students on campus, but I actually hear it with colleagues too, right? Like, oh my gosh, I've been working 50 hours a week. Or for students, I've pulled two all-nighters in a row. And then the next person goes, I've, I know I've worked 60 hours or the next person goes, I know I'm on my third all nighter. Right. And you're like one upping each other somehow, mm -hmm. instead mm -hmm. of, I always say like something you could challenge yourself to do is when you hear someone lead with something like that, right. Mm -hmm. Instead of they going to what's my, yeah, me too. I'm there stopping being like, wow, that must be really tiring. Mm -hmm. you, might, you must be tired. Do you feel tired? You know, like, or oh, wow. how are you feeling about that? You know, like stopping the conversation from elevating the stress to mm -hmm. like stopping to make it a minute of check-in because I bet that person's going to feel really hurt and understood, which makes wow. them feel good. And then you're going to feel that back and it actually makes you feel good. And that's one of those like great interpersonal moments, I think, is like why you appreciate uh, Dr. Titus, like giving you that check-in is because mm -hmm. it's like a recognition that you're energy and your well-being is valuable um That's it's hard. not a commodity right like it's not about oh. depleting it mm. it's it's valuable mm. pause for a second i gotta let that yeah, yeah. let's pause like let's say mm. it's it yeah mm. that right there that now that, that, that's yeah. the therapy I didn't know I needed today. Like <laughs> we, got, we got, got a little micro therapy going on here. Thank that that that's wonderful uh, because I think that I wish we spent more time encouraging that in high schools. 
I wish mm-hmm. we spent more time encouraging that um, do, throughout this 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 um, the college experience, especially at the first the first year, because you know to get into places like UT and you know I've worked at Clemson at University, yeah. just, just changed orange three times basically. But <laughs> but um, one thing I've noticed uh, is that you know like from ninth grade on, it's the you, I, re- I remember these conversations that they give you. You know, I got a kid I'm mentoring uh, at high school here here in the area, and one of the things that they tell you is that everything counts now. Good luck. And it's like, wait, they don't really 15 year old kid, 14, 15 year old kid really doesn't need that stress right now. But there's that added pressure of yeah, everything does count. All my tests that's going to count towards my GPA. These absences, all that mm. stuff. And if I'm trying to go to a school like UT, you know, if I'm going to compete. I've yeah. got prime and I've got to be in every student organization. I need all the extracurriculars. And you get rewarded for it too, right? Like, right. you do get in, right? You get in, you get to school. And so it feels like all that in the long term, mm-hmm. you kind of get that like reward, which isn't bad, right? It gets like setting goals and challenging yourself and meeting, you know, your long-term dreams. Like that's great. But, but I do but think that there's the, the habits that are incentivized along yeah. the way that sometimes make you real, like forget uh, that yeah. it's not all that, you know, <laughs> like that there's a lot more to you. Just like if, you know, even when we're doing introductions, right? Like you were like, who are you? And I was like, oh gosh, who where yeah. could I go? Like, I, and I, and I you know? I'm one of those people that wants to know that because when I talk yeah. to students, it's, it amazes me. Like I've been doing this uh, for the better part of 14 years now. And the thing that continues to amaze me about higher education is that the names and faces change, but this stuff doesn't change. And you'll sit no. down with one freshman and you'll sit down with the next one the next year. And it's the same thing that it's like, hey, tell me a little bit about you. And it's like, you want to know me? Well, yeah, because you're more than that major. You're oh, more yeah. than that future pursuit. Like, what are the things you like doing? And it amazes me the number of students every year. If I talk to 10 students during the first week of school, nine of those 10 are always going to immediately go, wow, that's a good question. I'm like, about the things you're interested in? Like, you've been interested in this stuff your whole life. Like, I I can look on the computer and see your your, your major and your hometown. I want to know what's interesting to you. And it's amazing. We put that stuff on the back burner, come to college, and all we become is our our EID numbers, our (laughs) major, and the students. Yeah, and our GPA. Your resume, right? Like, we're like, we're on resume. I mean, even titles, right? Like, for staff or for faculty, like, like, so much we lead with, well, here's what I do for a living, right? But... I'm not what I do. Like I'm do what I do because I am who I am, you know, like, and that's part of why I'm in this position and in this field mm-hmm. is because part of who I am is that I want to be a person who challenges myself to, to, to think about well-being, but I also want to create a world where it's worked in, you know, where it's, it's not the back burner. It's not the, you know, it's not left off. I love when I get resumes, by the way, when I hire students or staff, and like in that section way at the bottom, people have started to add, which is like other activities or other interests. Right. And I feel like sometimes I always want to start there to be like, you know, Portuguese, right. like how'd that happen? You know, tell me about that. Or like you play the trombone. Like that's cool. Like tell me more. People, I hate the fact that we have, to, we have to do those things like looking in the margins uh, rather yeah. than, you know, why can't we start there? Like, let's get the holistic uh, view of yeah. this person. So 
Wow. You, you, I mean, this is going to be a great episode. I, I can't wait to get this out there for students. And I really hope people, when they're listening, just know like the joy and the benefit of having somebody like Brittany on campus and knowing that you're here. For the parents that are listening, Brittany is absolutely a wonderful resource. Uh, somebody that you, obviously, if you're listening to this conversation, this is how we talk. Like, this is not yeah. a script. This is not nope. anything. Like, this is just how Brittany and I talk. And this is why I enjoy uh, having these conversations. I want to shift for a quick second because, I mean, you do sure. so much, but you were heading in a direction that I don't want our listeners to miss. And you were going, sure. in, the, and you were going in the direction of the self-talk. I want yeah. you to spend some time talking about the importance of this, and I'll lay the context for why. Sure. Dr. Keith Edwards uh, is a consultant that we've worked with in housing and dining, gosh, for the last two years, and he's been wonderful for our residential curriculum, and has been definitely a good colleague to go to as we're trying to navigate these different terrains. And one of the things he taught us a couple of years ago was that that self-talk that we give to ourselves, if we're not careful, it can become mostly negative. And what, what mm. people would do is it's like, oh, man, you're not working hard enough. Or, hey, Brittany is doing mm. 10 orgs and you're only doing one and you're struggling right. with that. Why is it that a lot of us default to negative self-talk with the hope that it's going to inspire us to do positive things? Yeah, I mean, that's, gosh, that's a big question. And I should also put out there that I think that there's a lot of people from different disciplines that would answer this question really differently. Of this course. is just the Brittany O'Malley response. Um, you know, I, again, I think that we, well, there's a lot of influences that are there that comes from, right? Like mm -hmm. people's upbringing, people's family, like those, the messages that become self-talk often were someone else's words to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they were said out loud or whether they mm -hmm. were implied by the way that you retreated or that you experienced the world, whether you were bullied at school or, or things happen. Like, I think there's a lot of those messages that come out and, and kind of culturally, like from media, you know, we start to set expectations of what certain experiences are supposed to look and feel like college is one of the big ones, right? Like mm -hmm. we get messages from movies and media and music and, and our siblings and, right. you know, the friends that go before us before we even start to think about what is college going to mean for me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of the self-talk starts outside of us and then we take it and we make it real. Wow. Um, and then we repeat it enough that it seems real. Um, and I don't think, and that's not to, and that's to say that it's deep, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's not as easy as telling someone to stop doing that. You know, don't talk yep. to yourself like that. Even I earlier said, like, talk to yourself like you, you're your best friend. That seems that's a real simple thing to say. Yep. What is really hard, hard to do? To do? <laughs> and I'm in that field, right? Like I tell people all the time, we can give people all the knowledge about how a certain health behavior is bad for them. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean they're not going to do it, right? Because you have to translate knowledge into like the rest of you and your experience. Oh, and that's a bigger jump than just turning it off. And that's why I also think, you know, self-care as a term gets thrown out a lot and it sounds really go there. I was just making it wishy, right? Like so, yeah. so go there for a second because that's the thing that we we absolutely throw this term self-care out there. And one of the things that ends up happening is is that if you're paying attention to it on Instagram and people are like yeah. on the beach with their feet propped up and like self-care, that can be good. But then I also see folks that indulge in other behaviors that 
you know, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, right? And yeah. so one of the things that we are challenged, we're challenged with as a society is that because we, we're, we have a social media uh, fascination, it can lead you to believe that I'm not really doing self-care if I'm not having mimosa brunches every Saturday and Sunday, or I'm yeah. not really doing self-care if my my if we're not getting our hair and nails done the so, the, the face mask things oh my that gosh. Can, yeah my, like yeah my wife yeah. and daughter the other day <laughs> <laughs> my wife and daughter were doing this little uh you know this my daughter saw this um face face mask thing on, yeah. on youtube the other day which my wife is it awesome my right? daughter loved it but at the same yeah. time i'm like yeah what am i creating i'm like am i creating the expectation that she's not pampering herself or doing self-care she doesn't get to do that it's so talk yeah. a little bit about what uh, self-care is and if you feel comfortable doing so what it isn't because what yeah. I what I want to be more responsible about is when I tell students and, and, and my friends and everybody else about self-care I want to talk about it in a way that is is not rooted in shame and guilt and I also want to do it in a way that doesn't mm. lead them to overindulgence in already somewhat negative or toxic behaviors. Right, right. Well, and I should just put out there, I am an Instagram lover, right? So oh, I follow like oh. also, I, I see those too, but I also think that there's a lot of positive accounts out there that are trying to reframe and show more realness in ways. And I think yeah. that that's really cool too. Um, what self-care is and what it isn't. I mean, at its base, it's, not to do the like word breakdown thing, okay. but it's caring about yourself, caring for yourself, mm -hmm. right? In the simplest form of it, it is making sure that you are, you give yourself a priority. Like, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of that is about you know, being able to listen and hear and digest what that means for you. What do you need? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and sometimes you need some pampering, you know, like I, I, I'll say like, that's one of my new favorite things during this time has been that guys, I'm not going to go out and get my nails done or I'm going to do things, but I found these little practices at home that make me feel, you know, nice. And that's cool. Um, but it, you know what I think what it's not is it's, it's not something that has to be a cultivated expensive experience, you yeah. know, like it doesn't have to be, um, we talked about time, like it doesn't have to be a spa day. I know mm -hmm. we keep doing spa stuff, but you know, like um, it doesn't have to, you know, like self-care doesn't have to be one thing, mm -hmm. I guess, is really the like thing it is, is um, it can be simple. It can be um, a tiny practice. It can be a really large practice. It can be taking a vacation, right? That can be self-care. But I think the but practice in it is it right? about... But am I not doing it right well, if I don't take a vacation? Because somebody out there is wondering that right now. If I'm well, not taking no, a vacation, am I doing self-care wrong? I, I can't answer that. Like, I also, I don't play video games, right? You're a video gamer, okay. right? So can, who am I to be like, video games? Like, mm -hmm. how is that self-care, okay. right? Okay. But for I, you, that I, might be something that really, like, that gives you a, a brain break. Mm -hmm. It helps you be creative. You know, whatever draws you to it. Um, and I think that that's like, does that mean I should play video games? No, it just means that you found a practice that like works for you. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that the, the like thing I see, and I think again, back to this culture thing is that we treat self-care like we treat everything else, which is either 
we don't do it, we don't do it, we don't do it until we have to, right? Until mm. the bottle explodes. Mm. And then that's when I think the self-care kind of binging happens that you're talking about, where it's like, I'm going to watch 19 hours of Netflix now, oh you know, <laughs> like, oh or like now instead of a, a couple of days off, I do need like a month off, you know? And I think that that's more of a symptom of the fact that we haven't found the other, the micro practices mm -hmm. to balance the bigger practices. Like I think there's, there's like this way that you have to kind of build it in and then also save up some time or some spaces where you do the bigger things too. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's like, I always go back to, I, when I talk to students about this, the Netflix thing, for example, students, when I ask, what do you do for self-care? Someone be like, I watch Netflix. I'm like, that's awesome. What shows do you like? What are you into? And, you know, they'll say this, they're like, yeah, but you know, what actually happens is like my self-care is like, I'll think I'm going to watch like one episode. And then all of a sudden they're like, are you still watching? <laughs> you know? And, and they're like, and all of a sudden it's five hours later, but then I also haven't done the paper I was supposed to start or oh, I did this other thing. Um, I missed out on, you know, my friend's dinner. Cause I just like, couldn't pull my way. And I was right. like, well, that doesn't sound like self-care anymore. Right. Like that sounds like something that now is like not refilling you. It's now then taken away. And I think that that's where it's easy to believe that one practice is always going to help you refresh. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the way that you use that practice might not. And so being able to adapt that to say, how do we do that? We're just not really good with like, you know, boundaries. We're not taught to be good with boundaries in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> and that includes self-care, right? Like we're, we're yeah. not good at setting self-care boundaries, just like we're not always good at setting other health boundaries or other time boundaries or relationship boundaries because no one really ever tells you how do you do that how do you navigate mm. that that's good i think yeah i'm, I'm not even i'm, I'm not even going to belabor it. <laughs> you nailed it you said it and i think it's good practice and i hope that everybody listening takes these things into consideration i think the last question that i want to ask you here because that time has certainly flown my goodness one of yeah. the things I want to ask you about, you talked earlier about access, safety, uh, and relationships. Right yeah. now, because of this pandemic, every student I've talked to, whether they're in high school, middle school, elementary, definitely here at college, are struggling with the relationship building aspect because nobody knows how to do it right now. They're, because it's like you, yeah. you say, well, why don't y'all set a Zoom meeting and a couple of you all hang out? They're tired of Zoom. I can ah. say like, hey, get on Discord. And a lot of them are already on Discord and they're just like, hey, but I've got other things I need to do and I can get lost mm -hmm. in Discord or I don't really know how to work that platform. Yeah. People are struggling with building community. There's, and college folks like myself who work at the university who are responsible for engaging these students are struggling to figure out what's an experience that can be safely done that means something to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so building relationships and community is more difficult than it's ever been. You know, I was on campus working yesterday and I met with some colleagues across campus and I just said, I'm lost because my personality mm. is I'm an extrovert. I yeah. like being out and about. I'm used to meeting with students during this time of year. I'm used to going and presenting in classes and doing different student org meetings. And I'm just, you know, at a loss for how to build yeah. community, especially with these new students. And more importantly, my heart is going out to those students who aren't physically here and yeah. can't engage in that community. What advice 
do you have for folks like me and students that are looking and longing to build those relationships, but aren't sure even where to start? Yeah, I mean, that's such, I, I think you name it, we're all struggling with it. It's not mm -hmm. a, it's, you know, kind of a universal experience that we're having, which in some ways is beautiful, because how often do you have universal experiences? Right, right, uh, right. But in some ways is really, really hard because no one has the answer, right? We're all just making, we, we started this day, this conversation before we started recording with, we're all just making it up as we go along, right? We like are. we're trying <laughs> to figure it out day by day. Yes. Um, you know, I think, I always think it's easier with anything to start small, right? Like if you're really seeking connection, it doesn't mean you have to go all in on like every Zoom opportunity ever or um, every, you know, like you don't have to call every single or text every single person on your phone list, right? right. Like start small. Like, is there a person that, I always say, is there's already a person in your life, you know, that makes you feel like when you leave a conversation, you feel a little bit better about the world, sure. uh, start with them, right? Like if you're really feeling that loss, like start with someone that you already have in your circle, mm -hmm. um, because likely you're gonna feel more optimistic and excited about engaging in the spaces that are a little more unknown if you feel a little more kind of replenished from that other person. So, and that could be a couple people, right? It could be your roommates. If you have a couple of roommates, it could be your parents, it could be, you know, like your significant other. Um, it could be a text, an email, a call, a Zoom, whatever works for sure, you. Sure. Um, I think start small, let yourself feel that connection again in a way that you know is reliable. And then that gives you a little more to move forward with in those spaces, like a class where you're like, I don't know anyone in this Zoom mm -hmm. face, you know? Right, right. Uh, but maybe they do a check-in and you hear someone say interesting and you're like, okay, today's the day. I'm going to do a little chat to them and I'm going to be like, hey, I also like, you know, X. Um, nice to meet you, you know? <laughs> like, right, right, right. But, yeah, because that's scary. It's scary it, to put yourself out there. It yeah. Is. And now yeah. more than ever, we're all <laughs> trying to figure out like, okay, what is putting myself out there look like if I was, you know, me, you know, I, I've always been a bit of an extrovert, but college was where I, I made the shift for real. Like right. my freshman year, I made sure at Welcome Week at Abilene Christian University in 2002, I was like, all right, I am not going to be high school Brandon anymore. Like this is... Uh, yeah. And I went by my initials BJ for the first couple of weeks. I was like, I, I'm going to reinvent myself, make a new personality. <laughs> and, Love it. You know, yeah. and suddenly I was this outgoing, extroverted person. I'm going, yeah, yeah. too much like this six months ago. But now this is who I made the decision to be. And I think a lot of students are doing that exploration. And I think that that's the thing that's different right, right now. Exploration is different in a, uh, yeah. In a pandemic. Yeah. And I think, again, like, if you're ever, whoever you are, if you're in a position where you're able to open up a space for some connection, mm -hmm. um, even if it's not a, like how you normally do things, right? If you're a student org leader or for you within, I know you said within your department or, you know, with your family even, right? Like I, my cousins and I early on did a, a group like Zoom, we've never done that. Like, yeah. you know, we've known each other our whole lives and we've yeah. never decided and lived all over the country from each other and never connected in that way, mm -hmm. you know, but someone made that first move to say, hey, y'all, like we have a Snapchat group. And they were like, what if we do this? And I was like, 
so grateful someone brought that up because it wasn't our normal practice. And someone took the initiative to be like, what if we try this? What if we try mm -hmm. something different? So if you're in a, whatever circles you're in, you know, embrace the idea that there probably is an underlying unspoken universal experience of wanting more connectedness, mm. but people aren't knowing where to find it. So if you have an idea or you can open up a space for it, be that person, be the change, you know, mm. like create a space where you're like, it's not about class. We're just going to have the Zoom room for 30 minutes yeah, today yeah. where if you want to show up, people, if people who are there are there because they want to just talk with other people. Like that's the only expectation of this space today. You know, that's, I feel like if I was a faculty member, maybe if I had that uh, ability, maybe I could create a space like that, you mm -hmm. know? Um, Cause I think that that invites people in, right? It makes it, it validates that we're all looking for it. It creates options that are big and small and mm -hmm. involve a lot of people or one person. And it also just helps us all like be creative and, and right. make it work, right? Figure out how to speak no, out. Interesting you say that for faculty because when I was, when I taught my class in the spring, you know, the pandemic hit midway through. And so I met with my students on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. But when I transitioned online, I pulled the Friday day of instruction and I used that as an office hour. And so what I would do for that one hour every Friday is I just log in and I'd sit at my computer and people yeah. who would come would come. And I was amazed at the depth and the level of conversation that came from that because I had students that they just wanted to talk. They didn't want to talk class. They were just like, yeah. hey, I, I just want to process these recent events that are going on in the country. Yeah. We would be naive yeah. to think that you know, the death of celebrities, even like with Chadwick Boseman passing the other day, uh, right. and, you know, Kobe Bryant passing at the beginning of the semester. I made it a point at the, early in the spring to say like, look, in this class, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come before you all naive about the world around me. So I'm going to yeah. always be checking in and going, Hey, I'm aware that this happened in Austin this day. I'm aware that this is what's going yeah. on in this group. If any, if we want to reserve some time, the first 20 minutes this or so, it takes up class. Here you go. Yeah. Also, Friday, here are my office hours. And here's the one yeah. that you are more than welcome to attend and, you know, you get credit for, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. And I want to name something. I know this could lead into a whole other thing and maybe there's okay. part two down the road. But um, I want to name and like recognize something you said, which is grief, right? Mm -hmm. Like there Please, is grief ahead, from like, you know, from the passing of people, from mm -hmm. A, there's a huge grieving process that's happening of letting go of what we thought campus would be and feel like right now, mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. for students, for me too. I'm going like, I'm not in my beautiful office space with my colleagues and I don't get to be around students every day. And, and I am a huge, I have personal experiences with grief and grieving that makes me very passionate about naming it yeah. and creating space for it. Yes. And to recognize that grief, I always say grief is another one of those words we, that's a really complicated set of emotions and experiences that we put a like simple word on, but really is really deep and meaningful. And, and I think that part of that longing for connection right now is part of understanding and keeping space for that. And, you know, I think that's really, really important. Like you offering that space or, um, you know, finding ways to check in on people. Like we said earlier, like asking someone how they're really feeling. Mm -hmm. um, they might not name it as grieving. They might name, they I don't, honestly, it's also okay to be happy. Some days you might have a real good, oh. and that's part of, for me, like grief too, is like understanding you could be happy and also like longing for other things that don't exist anymore at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, a huge and and again culture 
just to round it out, right. we're not a culture that is good at understanding or helping people or validating grief. Mm. We are not good at it. We don't give people tools. We don't, we feel like people should get over it. Right. And so this time of global grieving is a time where it's even harder to right. be able to feel valid in your emotions and your experiences and take care of yourself in that, wow. you know, and, and find space. So I, I just have to name that because it's like a pet project for me, like a passion area. Uh, and, I, and I think it does connect to well-being and self-care too, you know. Mm. So. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do a, a, a season <laughs> two, but a, episode, a second uh, round two of this because that conversation is definitely one that uh, you're right, we have to do a better job of because it looks different for different people and it looks different in different cultural mm -hmm. groups. And then totally. there's this unanimous season of grief that we're all dealing with but may not recognize that's also that there's a not necessarily a skill but there are some tools that as you said i love the way you articulated that there are some tools that we could take advantage of to help and some skills to take advantage yeah. of to help us navigate that so thank you for naming that and uh, i really do hope that everybody listening is taking the time to do that in a way that means something to them uh, and of course, you know, recognizing that there are resources and folks like Brittany uh, out there that can, you know, talk with you and help you through it. Um, before I let you go, are there any things you want to share with our listeners? Any updates, anything, any fun things coming up sure. or any projects, uh, anything major happening in the life of sure. Brittany O'Malley? Um, yeah. In general, in the world, um, well, for our office, Longhorn Wellness Center, you know, this is our job. We're here to help figure out how to get people tools and spaces and, and start conversations. And so I, I encourage people to check out our website, but also we have some really specific resources for groups too this semester, some like a whole virtual menu of options from asynchronous to activities you can take for your group to um, live kind of Zoom opportunities where we can facilitate for you. So, you know, we can help create some of those spaces where that's what we're here for. Wow. Um, and I think just in general that if, if anyone out there has ideas about what they think could help right now, come talk to me. I'm a door, my virtual door is always open and I love having conversations. How do they get in touch? Uh, clearly, I love having conversations. Oh yeah, you can email me. Um, should, should I say my email? Is that okay? Go for it. And I'll put it, I'll, I'll put it in the liner notes as well. Sure. It's B-O-M-A-L-L-E-Y B -O -M -A -L -L -E -Y at austin.utexas.edu. Mm -hmm. you, you can also find that information on our, our website as well. Yeah. Um, and also, I just want to give a shout out because I help oversee our social media for Healthy Horns. We're really yes. trying to incorporate messaging to promote well-being. So if you like social media, if that's your thing, follow us, kind of see some of the messages we're putting out there. We put out some important COVID-19 messages, but we also put out a lot of time and prompts to, you know, take space for yourself and practice self-care. Wonderful. Wonderful. Listen, Brittany, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, we really appreciate you and you have yourself a wonderful day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To catch the next installment, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We'll see you next time.